how did you feel in the theater, Ben? Well, in the screening of Little Women, you mean? Uh, it, it was it was interesting. I was like the only man in the we, the three we, of us. Yeah. We were the only. You man were in the, the only man. <laughs> Sorry. Wow! Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> didn't mean didn't say that. Okay. <laughs> I know you hated it, Alex, because you hate stories about women. But... No, no, that's no. a low blow. No, I live it. I live Little Women every day. Yeah. The moral of the story: the podcast where a writer, a philosopher and a filmmaker explore the stories that make us and the morality that makes the story. I almost laughed out loud when the father walked in for the first time. Uh And it's the actor who plays uh, the lawyer Saul from Breaking Bad. Oh, (laughs) yeah, better call Saul. (laughs) And he's like the dopiest character in the show. And I walked in and I was like... I just expect him to be like, well, and and I I have to admit, I don't know how good he was in that role playing like, and Oh, he's a great actor, but Methodist clergyman or something. Yeah. He's a great actor, but it was just funny because the character he plays in the show is very, he's like the, the scum of the earth lawyer that's like out for the buck. Yeah. And he's like, he's just not a not, but in a really kind of dopey, Way. Did y'all ever figure out in Little Women what the relationship between the aunt and the parents was or is? I think like it, who, is, like is whose she aunt rela- she was. Yeah, because it does make sense. If she's the sister of the clergyman dad, then that's weird. But if she's the think, sister of the mom, that's also weird. I took it that she was know. the aunt of the mother. The aunt of the mother. I but guess I don't that, really know. But that. no, but she's Aunt Marsh, and they have the last name Marsh, so she oh. has to be the yeah, sister and I thought, of yeah the dad. So the older sister well, got all the money, and then the dad decided to be a clergyman and be poor. And was see, was but I was. didn't understand I that if uh, the aunt is supposed to be, did she have her money from inheritance, or did she marry rich and then her husband die? No, she, she said she never, she never married. Right, right. I think yeah. she never did marry. I know they or never really her, answer the question yeah, of where her money comes from. Yeah, that's a mystery. If you if you know the answer to this mystery, just send us in a little text comment, a telegram, a telegram, and let us know uh, what the relationship of Aunt Marsh is. Yeah, but Meryl Streep did a great job in that that role. She did. She was one of the most diverse in that role. I did. Yeah, actually, that role was interesting because it plays into kind of our theme for this episode, which was the double mindedness of the movie Little Women. Yes. Or maybe even the triple-mindedness. But there are four <laughs> sisters, so maybe it's quadruple-minded. <laughs> Actually, the, the thing that I find funny just off the top is the title Little Women. I had forgotten that it is actually the way that the dad refers to the four girls, like mm. my little women. Oh, right. right. And in our enlightened, emancipated age, <laughs> that is more than a little... I don't know. You wouldn't write that today. Like, my yeah. little women. That's true. <laughs> or I'm your little woman. Yeah. Well, but it's because they're <laughs> his would... children. Yeah. That's true. And it's because it's about them growing up. And it's about little women That's becoming true. big. I hadn't thought about that. That, yeah. they're, that they're little. Big in their in, stature, in not their size. They're not yeah. little because it's all grown women playing younger women. Right. But Right. It's a little deceiving because when they're yeah. young, quote unquote, they're not actually... Oh, I actually got just, super confused when it was jumping back and forth in time. Mm-hmm, like I uh-huh. literally, there were some parts where I was like, I didn't know what stage of time it was in because right. they didn't really differentiate. Well, look, like, if it was blue, it was modern. If it yeah, was oh, golden, was that, Oh, is that was what old. they were doing? That's oh, yeah. how I, yeah. Oh. The golden, okay. it's all about the color correction. Got it. Right, white balance. Yeah. Well, I totally noticed that, but yeah. I didn't know that they were using it as, to differentiate. Well, because I saw it as like the new modern day okay. or a current time. The, the later stuff right. is sad. Right. And then she was remembering the golden years. Okay, I got mm-hmm. it. Of a child. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Because they didn't really like age or de-age the girls. It was they really like didn't. They, they just The hair changed them. a little bit. Yeah, and it was, it. Yeah, it was a tad confusing. Well, like so. when Amy gets beaten by the schoolmaster... You know, I think mm-hmm. she's supposed to be, you know, I don't know, 12 or 13 or something. You know, she's young, but the woman playing her is right. You 20, know, the yeah. same. Yeah, 22. Yeah. She's the same yeah. age. She was the, the one through. that was the most unconvincing as a younger person. Yeah. I well, think everyone else did pretty hard. good, but then she was just like, well, you're obviously making a baby voice. In the Winona Ryder like, version, mm-hmm. did they have two different actors? I have not seen that play. Okay, so this I mean, was the I very think... first, I had never read the book or seen any of the other movies. 
Oh, really? So yeah. look, as a newcomer to Little Women. Well, I've already you know. told you. It just reminded me of Anne of Green Gables, and I like Anne of Green Gables better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, it's yeah. interesting. I mean, because this film was very celebrated this year, um, mm-hmm. coming out in Christmas, yeah, big, nominated. big, uh, you know, Best Oscar picture. nominee really, you know, release, and they picked an eminent female director to direct it. Yeah. So this sort of was the who's who of Hollywood's ladies, right, coming together to make the ultimate women's film right which right. we s- felt firsthand being in the theater the only <laughs> yeah. three men we're in the movie. only yeah. <laughs> which is kind of funny because you say like well who are they making this movie for and they were obviously making it for a female audience definitely yeah but is that also just pointing out the fact that the thing that they're trying to counterbalance which is you know women in a kind of narrowly defined role uh, in movies Right, break there's, the uh, what's the, there's some the rule. gender ceiling. I can't, or, I can't remember what rule it is, but it's the rule of like a woman has to talk to another woman in a movie, and then it's not belittling right. the woman. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Because yeah. so many movies, the woman is just help me, Sam. Yeah. You know, kind of damsel the, in distress, right? right. Sort of well, and this had, I mean, the all, everybody but Laurie is very much just a supporting actor. You yeah, know, in right. the, in the whole thing, as far as the men, the male roles, which is fine. Um, but I think it's interesting that only women would go see it. Hmm. You know, yeah, as, yeah, as, even, as far as, as an audience, well, it's a great movie. It is yeah, a great, it's it, a, it a very, a very well made story. It's, and it's the probably it's made. the best version. I mean, I've only ever seen the Winona Ryder version other than this, but it, I would be surprised if there's a better version that mm-hmm. has been made of the story. Yeah. Because it yeah. was really well done. Right. Now, the thing about this movie, though, where it did appeal to me at least, because there's like that slot that's the period piece at Christmas slot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm the a Hallmark. sucker. I'm, I'm a sucker for that slot. It it's came like dreadfully close to the Hallmark. Uh, oh, come on. The, the production value is a lot oh, better. Oh, so much yeah. better. So much better for <laughs> yeah, sure. But it yeah. was like, it, wouldn't be fair. it was in that time. Yeah. Okay. That was a little harsh. I mean, yeah. Greta Gerwig does deserve that. <laughs> the, yeah. uh, the, the lowest uh, opinion I could have of a film is that it's a, a Hallmark, Hallmark movie. movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't go that low. I'm, yeah, I wouldn't say that. Now, morally speaking, I, I thought the film, there's actually a few different things in the movie that were interesting just as issues. One issue uh, that actually we haven't talked about um, before recording this um, is the issue uh, that's kind of a minor theme in the film, but it's of art and mm. um, the power of storytelling. So Joe yeah. Marsh writes these plays she brings all of these different people into her plays. And there's a actually a really good scene in the movie that I thought was very interesting. You don't usually see this where the professor who's her, you know, potential love interest um, reads her stuff and he's just like, this is horrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that part was really It was funny. a really yeah. good scene. And, um, and he says, do you not have anybody that is honest with you about your work? Yeah. And just as a creative person, I thought this is actually very, Apropos, if you've ever tried to do something mm, creative, yeah. you know mm-hmm. how hard it is to find like a trustworthy yeah. but honest and right. someone who cares critic. enough to say like, "Well, no, that you need to do this or that or the other." Yeah, just, right. Just like, oh, nice. Definitely. Yeah, pat you on the head and, and tell you. Because Louisa yeah. May Alcott actually, she made all of her. Well, she initially tried to make money selling, just like Joe Marsh, these blood and yeah. you know, kind of sensual thrillers about. Guys in masks and yeah. abducted women, and, right? And this thing that was popular at that point. right, yeah. two bit, two bit Dumas novels, right? Yeah. Exactly, Alexander two bit Dumas. Dumas, and and then she wrote Little Women, just like Joe did. You know, a book about yeah herself. It's almost like one of those mirror echo chamber things, yeah. Where it just keeps yeah, yeah, yeah. going and going. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, but but I thought that was interesting because someone should make a movie of a female director making a film about a director making a movie about little women, about the writer <laughs> of the book, of which the movie right. that sounds like a job life. for Christopher Nolan. Memento two. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Rewalking uh, time all over again. Well, um, I yeah. felt like the movie really was double-minded though, to return to, to that idea. It, because on one hand you have the American feminist tradition, Right, so like Greta Gerwig reading interviews where she was talking about the movie, she was really aware of, you know, especially in the day in which we live. You know, you have Me Too, you have equal equal rights, uh, constitutional amendments. You have all of these things that are being talked about, and just all the time on social media and other things. And Greta Gerwig, obviously, in making the movie, kind of wanted to sort of make it contemporary enough that it would address that 
cultural moment in the movie. At the same time, the movie belongs to this very different time where it's, I mean, first of all, people are very religious. Um, family is much more traditional. Um, and held and, in high esteem. Right, and held in high esteem. And even in the original 90s movie uh, with uh, Winona Ryder, you know, the Aunt Marsh character is portrayed as just this stuffy old woman mm-hmm. and who doesn't want the kids to get married and wants to have them to make, you know, lucrative matches. And the whole point of that version was, forget that aunt, we want to, you know, marry for love, and it's very right. romantic. Well, that's right? the, the, the thing. Yeah. But in this movie, they make the Meryl Streep character almost kind of undermine a little bit the romantic plot. Well, they yeah, did the thing know? about her that I didn't get, though, is that she says, you got to marry for money, and here she is, she's rich and she's single. Yeah, I think that I think she did was married and her husband died. I think that is oh, what, really what happened. I thought she was. Uh, the way I perceived it was that she was saying all that so that they, the the sisters or the daughters, whoever she was, because she told that to a couple different people mm-hmm. or a couple of different. Mm-hmm. I, I interpreted that as don't end up like me. Oh, like huh. kind of a, a a cautionary warning. Like don't you don't want to be alone and old with all this money like mm-hmm. I am because it's not really worth anything in the end. Mm-hmm. That's kind of why I got huh. picked up on. It's interesting because the movie does have a kind of two-mindedness about the feminist angle, which right. is Joe Marsh, the liberated woman, going off, making money, you know, negotiating with the, you know, male guy right. you know, across the, the publisher. That guy did a great job. He was yeah. really funny. Yeah, he was. Um, he did a good and job. and then negotiating. You know, I'm going to write an ending that's, yeah. you know, what people want. But the in the real world, women don't have to run after the guy at the right. train station and and kiss him in the rain. Um, versus this idea that all Joe Marsh really wanted was to be loved by her sisters and be with right. the family. And there's a gr- real poignant scene in the movie that I was uh, struck by where she says kind of towards the end, I just don't want to be alone. Yeah. You know, she writes that, that was really to Laurie, powerful part. Um, and saying that, you know, I made a mistake, even though it's clear from the movie that she's sort of just saying that cause she's yeah. so lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, it's actually very it was, sad. If you, yeah, if you think about is. the fact that the Italian professor at the end is invented, mm-hmm. but maybe her repining over Lori is not. Hmm. Yeah. That she actually regretted having rejected him. Yeah. Wished that they could have gotten together, but he had already married her sister before that happened, and she went the rest of her life with no one. Yeah. That's yeah. really sad. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, and I, I have never read the book, so I don't know how the book approaches the ending. Does So what, maybe one of you can answer, but what, what was the ending of the book? Well, I think... Does she just the, not the, get the, married? The, no, the ending of the book is that she does get married to yeah, the, the, the book is presented that she marries the professor and they start a school. In right. Aunt March's okay. house. And that's got the it. basis for Little Men, the sequel. Okay, yeah. got it's it. going. But um, but because Alcott didn't get married, that's, and because okay, it's autobiographical, right, right. so much of it is, right. except that ending. Exactly. It kind of is suggestive. Okay, I get it. I get it. But um, yeah, no, I think it's, it, it's intriguing because you go back to Little Women. When it was released, like the book is actually organized around Pilgrim's Progress. So there's this whole moral journey that all the characters make. And you can yeah. kind of see that like, you know, uh, Meg goes to Vanity Fair when she goes to the finishing women's school. finishing school. Yeah, and so that's about yeah. her getting over vanity. And so that's her struggle. And then Joe has this anger problem that she talks about with Marmy. And and that's, I think, connected to Apollyon in, in John Bunyan's book. And, and sh- in, in the book, um, Joe Marsh actually talks to her father via letter about, you know, I'm going to overcome these moral failings that I have. Right. So a lot of the book is actually about these women learning to, you know, be better people mm-hmm. um, in a very Christian way. Right. Like a, a ver- moralistic. Yeah, moralistic. Victorian gaining, moralistic. Gaining virtue. Right. So there's that side of the book, which is still sort of present in the movie. But as the book has moved forward sort of the proto-feminist elements of Joe Marsh going to New York City and writing and not getting married, um, those have loomed larger and larger to the point where I think 
the book kind of means something different than it even did. That's really, really yeah, interesting. I just think it's because uh, that line in the movie, you know, where uh, Joe says, well, God hasn't met my will. You know, it's that triumph of the will kind of I celebrating. I think that's Greta Gerwig. Well, kind of I think a little is. bit of I know, atheist. I think it is too. Yeah. As far as the comparing it to God, but the idea that Joe has right. this implacable will and determination to, to go succeed. out to succeed and well, and that's where you kind of see that American element, the American liberated female. Mm-hmm. It, it's really very something kind of distinctive to our culture. Mm-hmm. You just don't see it even in Britain or in other cultures. I think it takes different forms, but mm-hmm. um, Joe Marsh is a very American character mm-hmm. as a woman. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. a writer and traveling to the big city and, you know, the the will to power <laughs> a little bit, you know, <laughs> the will to make money really is what it is. The will to power, which is making money. Well, it is. And, and it, it brings forward an irony in the story because, you know, she's out on her own, you know, trying to make it as a writer, writing these kind of lurid, uh, you know, swashbuckling romances um, that the publisher doesn't want. You know, mm-hmm. the pirate tales or whatever, whatever they were. Oh, I thought he did and, want them. I thought that's what he wanted. Well, actually, well, you're right. He did yeah. buy those. He yeah. bought those. And she wouldn't take that until he saw his daughters liking Little right. Women. Exactly. That's yeah. right. exactly. how they present yeah. the film. Um, but uh, it is funny that she was doing that for money, yet the thing that everyone loves about her work globally now, and as she's remembered for, is writing the story of her family. Right. Right. And it's the story of the siblings and the family, how they related to one another, their parents and the war. And that is what made her a name for herself. So in a sense, even though she lived her life as a spinster author, her mm-hmm. family, which she did not raise up her, one of her own, mm-hmm. is what may, put her on the map. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that makes her cool and woke and virtuous in art's time is not what makes the story successful. Well, not even what makes her famous. Right. You know, she wouldn't have that level of popularity and wokeness if it weren't for her family. Right. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. like she would not even be in a position to be a a woke icon if it weren't for the family. Right. And and that's where I think you can kind of see almost, if you want to say Joe Marsh is a proto-feminist, you know, like the very early days of the the feminist movement, which was responding to a lot of evils at the time. I mean, when when, uh, Amy gives her speech, which is one of the best original pieces of writing, I could tell it wasn't in the book. You You can kind of tell when Greta Gerwig was writing it. And uh, and it's when she says, "No, getting married is like a contract. It is and an I economic it's proposition. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's an economic, economic proposition, proposition yeah. for me. And that was totally true. Yeah, like mm-hmm. all the way up until the '60s and '70s, you had all of these very unjust laws that basically tied women's hands with property rights right. and voting rights and all of these things. Well, even further back, I just I just watched The King, and yeah, you know, when you know the Queen of or the Princess of uh, France, literally, like the King of France." literally offers Henry his daughter so they won't go to war. It's like, uh, okay. Yeah. I don't think like, I would do you that. Are, you but, are literally a trophy wife. You are literally like a bargaining chip being like, right. hey, if you take my daughter, are we cool? You know, yeah. it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. You can jump back to 18, I don't know, 1870 something or 1880 something and you can see this very bleak landscape for women mm-hmm. and what Alcott is responding to and all right. these things. But then you can also jump forward to our own time, you know, after Little Women and the Joe Marsh phenomenon mm-hmm. has had 125 years to evolve, right? Right, And for all of the very just uh, responses that the feminist movement was, uh, was putting forward, um, I'm just struck by the way in which the Joe Marsh phenomenon has lost so much of its idealism, you know, because the jo- the modern Joe Marsh is like sex in the city and girls. And yeah. well, yeah. And, 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 and there's a kind of irony that this, what began as a very idealistic, very, very religious, almost Christian yeah. movement that, that actually, if you look at the original suffragists looking for voting rights, they were extraordinarily pro-life. Susan right. B. Anthony yeah. is very Christian. Um, and now that has become, 
you know, I have a right to my condoms, yeah. you know, like it, it, and that's just such a low place right. for it to have ended up at. Well, that issue though, like how it's evolved over that time is really the, the crux of the matter because she, you know, Joe Marsh was saying, I have a right to be respected for my intellect. Right. And my writing and what I have to contribute to this broader world, not just as a housewife or somebody to have babies or mm-hmm. any of those things. The only irony is that women have been respected for that for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. You mean for having children? And, no, and for, no, oh. for their intellect. Oh, for Who's their Who's St. Hildegard well, von Bingen? Who right. is St. Teresa? Well, you're Who is St. Catherine of Siena? Well, Who that, is, you, go, you yeah. go around the world, you're talking about a very uniquely American Protestant problem. Yeah. Well, if you go back to the Middle Ages, there are dozens of extraordinarily intelligent saintly women who were massive leaders leading Eleanor of Aquitaine. And you got, I mean, controlling got, kingdoms and all these things. It, you're right. It really is an enlightenment. And it's not just rich women. It's women who had no money. Women who literally spent their whole life in a convent. Yeah. But if they had something like remarkable mm-hmm. to say or to show, mm-hmm. I mean, they were not sexual icons. They weren't anything right. of the sort, but they had something meaningful. And and even outside the church, like Michelle, Michelle Montan, the mm-hmm. famous uh, uh, writer who wrote essays, like one of the first great modern writers, his daughter, you know, basically was his secretary and she mm. was in her own right, like a genius who... Wasn't Milton's daughter you know, also? Uh, I don't know I think about one Milton. of his daughters I, that, that, I'm, helped I don't know him, about Milton. But, yeah. but you're right, like around, somewhere around the 1700s, you had this kind of Puritan phenomenon in Europe that made women, you know, like sight unseen, mm-hmm. you know. And, and it's actually what you see in Mary Poppins with Mr. Banks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That kind of idea of women are this like trophy that is in the home and it's like they're immaculate but they're also like cut off from society right. mm-hmm. in a and the middle ages were actually a lot more freewheeling about that right um, well in, and in it's certain ways. and it and it brings up this this um, false choice because now what modern society says is that women have a right to obviously go to work and you know write and create and all of those things or to choose a path other than marriage, which they have a right to do and have had mm-hmm. in Christian society all, you know, for thousands of years. But at the same time, they rec- they also at the same time have sexual freedom or right. can be sexually licentious. Right. And that in the last hundred years has only been possible because of the rise of contraception and the, the disconnection of, of sexual activity and the bearing of children. Right. right. And that to me is the irony. And that, t- like I would, uh, um, a while back, I watched uh, Marriage Story, um, which is also up for Best Picture. Can't recommend Marriage Story. Okay, just all disclaimer. There's, But there's one particular scene that just shocked me, offended me, like on multiple levels. But it's where this one female lawyer, ironically, played by Laura Dern, who's the saintly marmy in Little Women, but in Marriage Story, she plays this sexy, uh, irreverent female divorce lawyer. And she gives this speech to Scarlett Johansson, who's the, the mom who's getting the divorce from Adam Driver. And the speech is basically, um, and then this is a very you know tame version of it, because pretty much blasphemous, but it basically says the reason why women have all of these hangups in society is because our society is Christian and it expects women to be the Virgin Mary. And that means that you're both a virgin, meaning you're pure, and you're a mother, meaning that you care about people. And God the Father is absent when Jesus is on the cross. So because he's absent, that's the picture of the modern female dilemma. Absent dads, dead sons, and you're supposed to be virginal and maternal. And the obvious implication of Laura Dern's figure as this like feminist liberated uh, woman 
is that a independent woman is someone who is not virginal, you know, uh, getting whatever she can get, is not really a mom, meaning that she doesn't really think of her kids as number one. She thinks of herself as number one. And that she doesn't really think of men as anything but this parasite that's right. absent all the time. You know, you, you were describing that scene from Marriage Story and as blasphemous as the way that they described it, like it, it's that's awful. The scenario that she was describing is not entirely inaccurate. Like the You mean the, just in as, modern uh, in the as, modern, in, in modern, modern world. Yeah. The right. father not being there, mm-hmm. the yeah. father not playing the role that he, you know, again, I'm no right, way. right. Like that is so messed up the way she described that. But the father not being a part of the family, mm-hmm. she's equally, not accurately describing Jesus and God the Father. Yes. But she is accurately describing the deadbeat situ- dads exactly. and the plight of single and moms, the, and then the death yeah. of the son. Uh, not not always physically, but spiritually and morally, and mm-hmm. um, which then I those are the root of the problem of everything else. Well, um, you know, it that is right. That is kind of the irony in that moment to me in that movie, Marriage Story, is that as you know, the way that marriage is portrayed between Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson, it's a very uh, it's a very secular marriage, you know, but it's supposed to be a loving marriage. And the thing that I found really shocking about it, actually, as a viewer was that the film obviously wanted you to think that Scarlett Johansson plucking up her son and moving to California to pursue a TV acting career, knowing that it would result in a divorce from her husband and a shattering of her family, was somehow a noble, like, self-fulfillment thing. Hmm. And that I do find shocking. There is an aspect of feminism, not all feminism, but, but at the very least there's an aspect of feminism that when you look at that situation and the feminism that would say, yes, it's good that you destroyed your son's life, basically, because you're blowing up your family in order to achieve, quote, your dreams of appearing in a few ridiculous sitcoms that will be forgotten within a few years. Well, like, it's like that, the story that of- kind of selfishness being idolized. Mm. Like the equivalent would be like if American culture decided to idolize uh, Hugh Hefner. Well, or it, it which would, they it do. Would, yeah, <laughs> what they do. Well, well, yeah. But, well and when they did. <laughs> yeah. But now the culture has moved so against that. Yeah. That mm-hmm. now it's like it would. It's it's grotesque. It's a pariah. Yeah. Well, it's and, a pariah. and it goes well, both ways. It's it's the it's the suggestion or the um, the encouragement to follow your quote unquote heart. Right. This is for men and for women. Your mm-hmm. heart is innately evil. <laughs> Don't follow your heart. Right. Like, yeah. Your heart is going to tell you to do irrational, evil, terrible things. Like it, you know. Yeah, just the, your the passions, human, just the human living, heart. Yeah, just living you know, with your passions. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, it. When I think about that, it you know, it reminds me of the scripture. You know, I'm going to replace a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, your heart and the desires of your humanity are going to lead you astray every time. It's mm-hmm. interesting that you bring up the heart of stone. Cause I was uh, thinking about that line uh, when Christ is talking about the end of the world and he says at the end of the world, the love of many will grow cold. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was fascinating cause I've always wondered what he meant by that. You know, you think, well, does it just mean people hating each other? Does it just mean people being unkind? But it occurred to me a while back that really, especially with, I think, the rise of contraception and the rise of just uh, people not having children, people, you know, choosing like... The rise of selfishness. Yeah, the rise of selfishness, that it really is love grows cold, right? Like you don't have kids. You you enter a winter. There's a spiritual winter where you're your marriage bed is unfruitful. Mm. Mm. Um, it's purposefully sterile. Yeah. Um, and that way that love grows cold really is something that we live with. I was just reading this book called Empty Planet and mm-hmm. the thesis, it's these couple of liberals who wrote it, but it's fascinating because even though they try to never critique that vision of human fulfillment, they basically say, listen guys, the planet is heading toward a demographic cliff because all of these developed worlds are basically 
using contraception to not replace themselves, like mm. to just live for today right. and have like one kid maybe. And no one is willing to talk about it because nobody wants to, you know, call out the elephant in the room, right? which is the selfishness of modern life. Well, a lot of them are relying on, like Peter Thiel, they're relying on medicine developing fast enough that they can live to be like hundreds of years old. Yeah. Right. And they're basically saying, my current happiness in today is (laughs) basically more important than the survival of the human race. Right. And and you know what's (laughs) funny is like people all the time say, well, you're talking about like having eight or nine kids. Well, first of all, that's wonderful to have eight or nine kids, you know, but I am one of nine. Because it's more people. Yeah. (laughs) But even if you have three, that's replacement, right? Like it's amazing that we're looking at a demographic cliff like this because like the answer of this book was we need to open up immigration Mm. so that the global South just pours into the global North and keeps our big economies rolling. Right. Well, Think about how racist that is. It's so racist to say, you know, me, Mr. White Guy, and my partner with, like, no kids, and we have this high-flowing lifestyle, we need more people in our economy to keep it rolling. So let's bring in the Africans and the Hispanics or whatever. It's, right, yeah. It's shockingly arrogant it, and, yeah, it's, and, it's actually and racial, very, actually, yeah, when, you, when you think of it in those terms. And, you know? and what it leads to is what we're starting to see is the the complete and utter separation even of human connection. Yeah. And the rise of things like, you know, we've talked about it in other episodes, the rise of sex robots and yeah. like mm-hmm. just the complete divorce separ- divorce of, of two humans connecting mm-hmm. and sharing a life. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, in, in every aspect. And well, we're and we're seeing rise of Loneliness, depression, suicide. Why do you think people are killing themselves? It's because right. they're alone. Well, yeah, they have and they no have one. No, they have no meaning. I, I don't understand where people think it comes from. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think though so many people are deceived because they think that everything is about self fulfillment. Right. Like even yeah. in marriage story, they have one kid and and they want to both be fulfilled or whatever, and they quote love each other, mm-hmm. but their love for each other is totally conditional on whether they're being fulfilled in, in their, their personal life. In right. their personal life, right? When of course they get it totally off because you're fulfilled by your marriage because you are thinking about the goodness of the well, other person. The root of it, right, is that the enemy is out, meaning Satan for the uninitiated, <laughs> or is out. To destroy the image of God on earth, right? Which right. is a human is in a way the image of God, but it's not the full image of God. The marriage union right. is yeah. the image of God. And if the, if, the, if the devil can get right, right. millions of people masturbating into robots, yeah. he is happy. Yeah. 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 That's the no, bottom that's line. Right. Well, and I really find it fascinating to, um, to kind of see and read and hear and watch uh, these these individuals who claim or who profess a love of nature and the evolution of humanity and, and biology and all these things, yet there's somehow this journey towards a very unnatural mm-hmm. um, lifestyle. It's right? really strange, whether, isn't it? Whether, it, whether yeah. it's homosexuality or even just the sex robot. Right. Like right. you are, you are, you are, engaging with a machine like right. how gross does that sound right like that's mm-hmm. just like that well and, and, but it's the people who are like uh-huh. you know uh, I, I won't say worshipers but the um no they are no no literally yeah. like you take camille paglia you know who's eminent uh female writer uh thinker kind of became fl- famous during the clinton years um she literally will write you and she's a lesbian and says like, I worship great nature, capital G and capital N. And so like, and she doesn't, and she also in the same breath will tell you like abortion is murder and we should push for its legalization and acceptance. She says it's murder. Oh yeah. She admits and acknowledges that it is murder, but I should have the right to do that. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. She will like literally use those words. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh Mm -hmm. my God. She wants to obliterate the Judeo-Christian ethic surrounding which murder is wrong. Are you serious? (laughs) You guys should see Luke's face. Oh my (laughs) God. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's, that's actually true. And and that's, that's when people, she doesn't think murder is wrong. No, not in that context. 
Well, because people are just apes, right? That's that's it, it's it really is going back to the Nazi idea. What is right and wrong if murder isn't? Oh, there is not, Luke. <laughs> there is no such thing. At the root of it, they cannot they cannot actually go out to most people, right? The majority of people. If you sit there and tell them, hey, by the way, yeah, it is murder, but you should feel fine doing it. Hmm. They know innately they're never they would never accept that. Like, well, yeah. because their conscience is, where, is still too alive. Right. This is where, the, and you that's know, the, where they I've, have to. I've heard to, the oh, phrase, it's just a choice. It's not, you know. And yeah. it's I've heard the phrase posthumanism, and mm-hmm. I think it really does, or transhumanism. I mm-hmm. think it really does describe the moment, the the movement that we're talking about. Because what this goes back to is in, in this book, Empty Planet. These raw authors describe a world with less people. And they mm-hmm. say, it'll be a cleaner world. It'll be a quieter world. It'll be a world where everything's a little bit old and shabby, but at least the oceans will have begun to heal. They literally say that. Mm-hmm. Oh and then they say, you know, everybody dreams about having a log cabin out in the woods, but that means there's school buses that have to go out there. It means that tractors have to be used. It means you Do have you to four-wheel drive. Thanos? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it means you have to have four-wheel drive. And then, and then they say this, and they say... How wasteful. That's literally a quote from that <laughs> That book. is literally the whole motivation of Thanos. <laughs> well, isn't that, that's what I thought that movie, we have to do an episode on Endgame and environmentalism. Yeah. Because that honestly was something, watching that movie, I thought, what? These people are making the environmentalists the big bad guy. Like, Thanos is an environmentalist that wants to kill half of humans. Yeah. But, and but I he's the ultimate they bad tr- guy, they right? Gave, they made him an environmentalist because... There's a thing now where the villain has to be sympathetic, right? And right, if you're yeah. a lefty, that's true. Yeah. If you're a lefty, you find that sympathetic, which right. is terrifying. It's terrifying yeah. that the left, thinking of a sympathetic villain, thinks of a guy who wants to murder half of the human race. Well, that's race their version of self-sacrifice. To save, to save right. humanity, oh, to save we, yeah, you're right. If we killed half of the humans and the earth would heal, but we have to sacrifice ourselves and just, you know, suffer through with the rest of the humans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's yeah. just, yeah, it's, it's nuts. Well, gentlemen, uh, what is our circling our, back our around? That was a dreadful <laughs> rabbit <little> hole. <laughs> talking about little women again. What, oh, what, um, what movie were we talking about again? <laughs> no, it was, but, uh, circling back to little women. Um, what are our takeaways? I guess, cause we're really looking at this film from, yeah, way almost a meta in the rearview mirror culture you know because yeah, at the root of it i mean on its most basic level it was a really nice warm heart heartwarming fuzzy movie it's a great for, movie you know yeah. my yeah, wife really loved well it done. you know yeah. um i mean your i wife loved, loved it it, it was yeah, like yeah. well you always have to ask the question as a viewer you know you don't think about this often if you just buy tickets to the movie right but you have to say like why am i being told this story now yeah and that's oh, all, yeah, that's, that's a big deal because yeah. people have board meetings yeah, it's all say, a business. What films are we going to put out this Christmas? Right. You know, and somebody said two years ago, right after the Me Too march in yeah. Washington, yeah, and or New York is where it was. Uh, we were there. I was in New York when that happened, and they said, two years from now, Christmas, what movie should we make? And they said, hmm, let's pull yeah. out Little Women. Let's yeah. get Greta Gerwig. And anyway, they and, that, and there it was. Right. You know, so uh, you have to ask, kind of, what are the motivations behind? the stories that we tell ourselves also. And there is a, there is a, uh, there, I think there's a deception between the public, the creators, and then the man behind the curtain, mm-hmm. the guy writing the check. Mm-hmm. That you is know, true. That is there true. Is, there's what the public thinks they're getting. There's what the creator thinks that they are having the liberty to do. And then there's the guy back there with the checkbook going, hey, 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 hey. which right. actually like, the film depicts. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's yeah, true. Yeah. It, it, they no, definitely true, do. Right. And I, you know, I wonder sometimes, <laughs> I wonder, I literally wonder, what does the guy with the checkbook believe in? Mm. Does he believe in anything? I, I was mm. actually, you know, you, you, Luke gave me Bob Iger's book. For Christmas, yeah, uh, which I appreciated, and uh, called the Ride of a Lifetime. I actually I wanted to retitle it the Ride of a Weekend because I read it in one weekend. <laughs> um, but you know, I was struck by this because you know, he has a real kind of vanilla way of describing all. I mean, it was it was very engaging. I enjoyed the book, but his way of describing the things he did as an executive are, is very vanilla. Although the things that he presided over and the things he did and credits himself for is basically like he was responsible for pushing the boundaries of what was allowable on primetime TV um, with NYPD Blue. And like Mm -hmm. him and the director wanted to make the first R-rated TV show. 
Interesting. And that the ABC Standards Board, they had this long, months long, and they created lists of like, you can show this, but not this. You can say this, but not this. You can, and, and basically like where the line was oh, and so how he far he could push the line. I mean, wow. he wasn't the, yeah, him, yeah. the director, but he was working with the director to do this. Right. And he was like, and we brought prime time to blah, blah, blah. You know, but I was like, man, you just, you just screwed with American society. Yeah. yeah Bob Iger. Brought, you know, and now world. he's, yeah. you know, 68 and he's, you know, head of Disney and, you know, the rest is history, but I thought, man, that's really actually a really lousy legacy right. to say you're responsible for the um, edgy, edifying of yeah. American television. Yeah. Right. And because it was so popular. Well, obviously, people have always been attracted to sin. Right. That's not new. Doesn't take a right. genius to figure that out. But, um, but you know, attr- the attraction to sin, which you could, you know, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Mm-hmm. I wonder. I, I I wonder sometimes if if the people writing these checkbooks for these films are literally worshiping the dollar and saying, "I have these people around me telling me what is going to make the most money, what is going to be the most appealing." They understand the climate of the society they're in. They understand mm-hmm. what's popular what's taboo in the in the current time and they know if i make a traditional version of little women right now you know that's not going to do very well and i'm not going to make bank but if i do this you know Mm -hmm. enlightened woke version of little women like you know i wonder that sometimes Mm -hmm. like well does do they actually believe in anything like would would, if someone suggested i think it's all a calculation because even little women like this little women that's what I found so fascinating about the movie was mm-hmm. that the movie kind of said everything. Yeah, right? there it was, was a it was, scene. It was there's a totally scene where it's like, fence. "Forget men, be a feminist, and don't even get married." Then there's a scene like, "I'm lonely, and I'm an existential girl who yeah. wants a guy." Yeah, and then there's another scene that's. You know, you need sisters and you need family. And then there's another, you know, it's like. They were trying to please everyone. So the moral of the story is. is You're so confused. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the moral of the story is that you don't want to offend anyone because that will affect how much money goes in your pocket. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, it's. No, that's true. I I think it's funny. It's like like, uh, my oldest daughter went with my wife. And she's seven, you know. So um, you think, what does a seven-year-old take away? probably the truth she came she came back and just wanted to play role play games with her sisters you know that's what she Mm -hmm. took from the movie but i do think if you're an older woman not an older woman but an older adolescent girl or you know you're preeminently going to relate to that kind of uh you know young feminist joe march not Mm the slightly older i'm alone joe marsh well it's it's curious like what message what message i mean it's in the byline of our show right the stories that make us yeah these stories because why is this told it's that this kind of story actually is formative right for young girls right well and greta gerwig even said that she she grew up reading the book uh-huh. and that it was almost like part of her childhood yeah and like had yeah. to find her right and i think there's actually and this this would be my moral takeaway of the of the movie is that if you look at timothy Chal- chalamet and his portrayal of Laurie, because he's like a very millennial mm-hmm, Laurie, mm-hmm. you know, kind of skinny and yeah. quirky and everything. And you look at him, and then you look at Joe's lack of a, quote, believable love interest, right? The professor sort of becomes this romanticized, like, and does he even really exist? And then he's figure. made an actual fantasy. By the and end. he's almost right. made an actual fantasy by the end. Um, and that moment when she says, I feel so alone... And that moment, I, I don't think is in the book, but it sounded totally like a Greta Gerwig because you can kind of feel when like her writing came in. It gets it. a little bit more yeah, modern. It becomes more modern, yeah. not just the book quotes. And when she said that, I thought, you know, there is actually the most recent development in the saga of the liberated woman because mm. the first phase is there's injustice. The second phase is, you know, Get while the getting's good. Get ahead. You know, show your stuff. Uh, achieve your dream, and then the new phase—the thing that I think you see sounding as a note in a lot of TV shows and scripts—is the loneliness of the millennial. 
Mm-hmm. That started to come into play. People who have believed a lot of these narratives about what it means to be happy, what it means to get ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, like I just saw the other day an article, and it was a woman. It was anonymous, but she said, "I'm 35. I just broke up with like a longtime boyfriend, and you know, I'm alone." You know, and she has lived the quote feminist dream as communicated to her by society, which is no kids, don't get hitched, mm-hmm. make money, you know, do everything you want to do while you can, and then the biological clock runs out. And what are you left with? You're just left with emptiness. Yeah. And it really is terribly sad mm-hmm. because, you know, we were made for people we were made for family we were made to commit and to sink down roots and to build those roots Mm -hmm. and instead we've taken you know ebenezer scrooge you know who's all alone at the end of his life and said oh yeah let's all be scrooge let's all go make money right well luke alex what's y'all's moral of the story with little women well but my moral of the story with little women is i guess going back to the irony of the fact that the life that we are shown joe marsh having the the courage to adopt is precisely the opposite of what made her book something people wanted to read, you know, which is a great story about a big family and that that's what people wanted to read. And that's what people love is seeing sisters and a a friend who's like a brother and their dad. And it's the decision of Marmee to have four girls. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And then Joe's off on her own and Louisa May Alcott, there's no, uh, you know, Louisa May Alcott jr quote unquote, it's mm-hmm. just, she was the end of the line. Yeah. And that's sad. You mm-hmm. know, that, that to me is my takeaway. I think what a sad thing to, to live life alone, having such a beautiful memory of the richness that family can bring. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she didn't actually create that for herself right? Um, mm-hmm. and fulfilling a destiny as a mother. Yeah. Well, and yeah, just to piggyback off that, it, have you ever thought about like, you as a person, you're not just you. You are the result of thousands of years of other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And by choosing a life of selfishness and saying, I'm not going to continue that lineage, that history dies. Mm-hmm. Like it literally does not continue. It's like so a like, generational suicide. Right. It is. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, a great way to describe it because, like, me as a tailor, you know, obviously I have brothers, but if I were the only bro, you know, I was the only boy for 10 years. Mm. I only mm-hmm. had sisters. Mm-hmm. And if I, as the only boy of my family, decided to say I was not going to get married and continue the Taylor line, mm-hmm. and Taylor's a popular name, there's a lot of them. There, but, <laughs> Your but, Taylor line. But my Taylor line would have died with me. Right. Like, isn't that crazy? Yeah. 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 That's so crazy. Like, yeah. to think of all the thousands of years of, you know, mm-hmm. history that my family has brought me to this point mm-hmm. by choosing not to continue that mm-hmm. I would have mm-hmm. basically turned my back on all that. Right. You yeah. know, which is just the epitome of selfishness. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it is the, um, you know, I don't think there's anything that's more life sucking than selfishness. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there's nothing more fulfilling than my family. Mm-hmm. both the one I grew up with and the one that I've created now. Mm-hmm. If I were to die right now, not having done anything else with my career, I would be okay with that mm-hmm. because, you know, I, yeah. Cause you, you gave know, yourself to a person and you right. are giving them yourself to right. a person and you're building something yeah. that will continue. I think, and, you, know. you know, I try to explain it to people that like, and you guys know your, your dads as well. Like I'm tired, you know, I, yeah. I have another child now. It's like, you're up all night with that one, and then you get up with the second one at seven every morning, uh-huh. and it's like you work, and yeah, I'm tired, but I would not trade that for anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I don't care. Yeah. It's the yeah. most fulfilling thing. And everything else that attempts to do to fill that is counterfeit. And mm-hmm. I, anyone who says they are fulfilled without that, I think are lying. Well, yeah. and they or, don't or they know. don't even or they don't, don't even realize they don't even it. Know. They don't you know? even realize it. Or well, it's like that, that beautiful. There's a beautiful song about that uh, by um, Sturgill Simpson in his you know Grammy nominated uh, album, um, "A Sailor's Guide to the Earth." I think is mm-hmm. what it's called. But it opens up with, you know, I should have done this ten years ago, meaning had a son. But how could I know that the answer was so easy? You mm-hmm. know that that the mm-hmm. fulfillment was as easy as having a child. Yeah, you know. Yeah. 
Um, and it so, is, it, you know, it is not, it is the ultimate self-sacrifice, mm-hmm, you know, right. in some ways it's harder than dying for someone because dying for someone it's over them. <laughs> right. Living for someone is a lot harder. Yeah. Die daily. Right. It's a yeah. lot harder. Dying little bits. Die yeah, daily. because you have to we, wake we up daily. every day and yes. you have to do it every day and you have to continue. And at the same time, it's the only reason worth waking up. It is. Really? You know, and, like, when you, yeah, it's like, it's, why it's do you keep going? It's this weird well, dichotomy of yeah. living for, you know, being able to live for something, but also being able to die for something. But it, it's so deep and fulfilling and and rich that the really the only logical explanation is that it is put here and given to us by someone Mm -hmm. much higher than us. And obviously Mm -hmm. we all, you know, we know where that comes from, Mm -hmm. but like, it's just not something that a human could think of. No, you couldn't dream it up. You can't dream it up. It's so spiritual and so, you know, ingrained in who we are as human that Mm -hmm. it's pretty, pretty amazing. Mm. Well, this uh, particular podcast, um, we actually have a ready-made book, which is <laughs> Little Women. Right. Well, if only there was a book that accompanied this movie. <laughs> so yeah, you can visit audibletrial.com slash moral of the story. Do a free trial of audible.com. Get a free book. And you help support the show. Keep us going. Feed yeah. our babies. And um, and uh, anyway, get a free book. So yeah, yeah. please visit the, the link. It's in the description. Yeah, and like us on you know Instagram, Facebook, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, wherever you're listening, we're on all the platforms. So make sure you're subscribed so you can uh, get notifications when we put out a new episode. It's every Thursday in case anyone didn't pick up on that didn't catch, on, catch on. <laughs> every so every Thursday we, uh, we come out with a new episode and mm-hmm. uh, we've got a lot of exciting ones for the new year. A lot of great movies. I feel like I don't know. The last six months have been really good for movies. Mm. There's been a lot of good ones. There's I some mean, good ones to discuss. Yeah, People that hadn't done that, anything good for the whole decade yeah, thought, well, I better hurry up true. and get, get yeah, something and there's good some, in for There's some good ones on the books to come out. So, yeah. um, We've got a lot of great things to discuss. So thank you for listening. Don't forget to uh, share with your friends, family, and enemies. And until next time, signing off. The Moral of the Story with Alex Wolliver, Luke Taylor, and Benjamin Wolliver. Please subscribe to The Moral of the Story on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen. Visit moralofthestorypodcast.com. Copyright 2020 Moral of the Story Media.